Practical wisdom from the first leader of the Christian Church in Jerusalem. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we study James and how to put our faith into action. We are in James, and where we left uh, on our last episode was James 1, 26-27. There was one additional thought that I didn't get to that I wanted to bring up, and this is just going to be really quick, but it's it's James I'd like to just read again, James 1, 26. It says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Well, I'll read 27 too. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is, to, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, the reason why I bring this up again is because this resonates deeply with me. One of the things that we are called to do as followers of Jesus in the kingdom, sharing his love, his peace, his joy, is basically to use our tongue, our words, our love, and our compassion to to love the world around us. And if we don't do that, then the religion is useless. But if we do, if we, if we look after widows and orphans or those that are marginalized by society, and we'll get into that today, and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world, the world is a place that pollutes. And I'm not saying that individuals in the world, but just the general fact that that we live in a broken world, and so some of that world comes into the kingdom and starts to pollute. And um, the reason I bring that up is because I wanted to just show you this prayer by Francis of Assisi. He's the, the patron of the Franciscans. They're the guys that go around in the brown robes and follow, follow Francis. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And the reason why I like this is because it is a great way to summarize one aspect of being in the kingdom and using your tongue, and that is basically to spread love, pardon, faith, hope, light, joy, to understand other people, to love other people, to give to other people, to pardon other people. These are the things, these are the great I would even call this a portion of the way of life that we were created to do this. And when we're called into the kingdom, this is the attitude that we that we display by being the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is how we are not polluted by the world. The world would purview hatred and injury and doubt and despair. But people in the kingdom don't. They purview peace and love. And joy and faith and hope and light. 
These are the things that we're called to be. And that way, when we follow this, we're not polluted by the world. We're, we're influenced by the Spirit of God living in us, being the hands and feet. I just wanted to share that because this, I think, is a good follow-up to, to James 1. Lord, let us be instruments of your peace. Because today we're going to go into James chapter 2. Now, James chapter 2 is could very well be a section of James that could take a very long time. It might even take the rest of the week and maybe even the rest of January. I don't know. It depends on how far this goes. But this highlights something about the human condition that is prevalent, anti-kingdom, and yet so much a part of our world today that it is worth reading and digesting and understanding at a very deep level. And so we're, gonna, we're gonna do that today because we're actually gonna jump into James chapter two. And we'll just go ahead and read the first part of it. James chapter two, beginning in verse one. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So this whole section, and it goes on, but this whole section on James is about showing favoritism to wealthy people. And I would say this is the same as showing favoritism to people of power, people of influence, people who are perhaps, I would say, in our world, uh, there's a word for it, but it has a lot of political baggage, but it, it is very... It is very true. It's the upper echelon of society. It is the wealthy. It's the, dare I say, elite. It, these are the people who influence society, influence decisions, influence all aspects of our living together because people go to them for the influence. They only influence because people go to them for influence. Like if I walk into a restaurant Nobody takes notice. But if some Hollywood actor were to come into a restaurant, the paparazzi would be there. Everybody would point fingers and try to see if they could get a selfie taken with that person in the background. And then they would share that with their whole entire group and say, look who I, I had dinner with, even though they didn't have dinner with that person. They just happened to be in the same restaurant. as that. But, but we as a society love to give accolades and power and influence and attention to those people who are at the top of society. And so if we were to have a Hollywood actor or actress walk into, let's say, church, <laughs> we're having worship on Sunday morning and in walks somebody who's, who's wealthy or powerful influence, that, that would be 
everybody, I mean, it would be the end of the worship service. I'll tell you that. It would, it would shut down. I mean, we would still continue. Don't get me wrong. But people's minds would be on the fact that that person is in the worship service and we would basically lose the, the influence of the day. Why? Because we as humans love to fawn over those people who have power and influence. So when James says a person wearing a fine clothes and a gold ring comes in, it is natural human condition to treat that person better than anybody else. But Jesus says, don't do that. In the kingdom, we are all equal in the sight of God. We are all co-heirs with brothers and sisters that God does not judge by the power and influence that they have in their life. God judges them by the heart, the inward part of their life and looks at their struggles and looks at their joys and relishes in that. And, and the same is true with people of power and influence. God looks at their heart and, and rejoices with their joys and is sorrowed by their struggles. God treats all people with a love that is internal and not necessarily external. The external things don't matter in the kingdom. They're completely useless. We shouldn't say the useless, but they, but God doesn't judge a person based upon the outward appearance. God judges a person based upon the inward appearance. But it is natural human condition to judge people based upon their influence and their power in society. That is just part of the world. And so when James previously in chapter one said, keep yourself from being polluted by the world, I think that's why he then moves into James two talking about favoritism, because this is the one of the ways that we become polluted by the influence and the factors of the world. We continue as a human condition to judge people on the outward stuff. We want to be part of the in club. We want to be part of those who have the wealth and the power and the influence and the ear. Because this even happens in high school, right? You have certain people in high school that seem to have all the influence and the power. And they make all the rules, all the decisions. And, and the horrible thing is, is that some of these people are not the best people to be making proclamations about how the world should be because they themselves are not necessarily mature in their faith, in their in how they live their life, in the things that motivate them. They might be all about power, wealth, and influence, and then they then use that power, wealth, and influence to try to not only get more power, wealth, and influence, but to help sustain the idea that the only people that are worth anything in our world are those that have power, wealth, and influence. Because their whole entire identity is based upon that. They have to continue to maintain that. And so they have to live that. And if they don't live that, they're shunned by those people who have power, wealth, and influence. And I think about those people who are uh, in Hollywood that if they even try to say things that are not maintaining that atmosphere of power, wealth, and influence, that they're shunned. And I don't have a specific example, but I've seen it before. And 
I do have an example of this. There was a painter, Vincent van Gogh. He's German. Uh, everybody says Vincent van Gogh because he also was associated with painting, which is French. And so people uh, French eyes his last name, but it's actually Vincent van Gogh. And so this painter, before he became a painter, actually went to divinity school and learned all about power and wealth and influence and even religion. And then he was sent to be a real-world priest. I think he was a priest. In a real-world congregation, in a real-world example of life. And he was given a stipend. And that stipend was to help was supposed to help him maintain his position of authority over that congregation. He was supposed to go to all the parties and the salons and maintain that image that the church should be at the top upper echelon of society and have influence at the upper echelon of society. And yet he didn't do that. He took that wealth, or that stipend that he got, and he actually distributed it to the poor. And didn't go to the salons, didn't buy the fancy clothes, didn't go to all the parties that he was supposed to go to maintain that status. And then I can't remember if he was defrocked or he was simply yelled at. But whatever it was, this deeply influenced Vincent van Gogh. And so he ended up leaving the ministry and becoming a painter. He was a torn individual because he lived out the reality, which is the people at the top don't always care for the rest of society. They simply don't do that. The rest of society, for, for many cultures across many ages and many times, the people at the top only look at the bottom of society as sources of getting more wealth, influence, power. Now, What's interesting about this is that there was a study done by a guy named Pareto, P-A-R-E-D-O, and he looked at how it was that it seemed to be that no matter how a society is set up, that at some point there are always people at the top with all the power, wealth, and influence. There's a middle class and then there's the very, very poor. And it seems like every society, no matter how it starts, over time kind of stratifies itself into this level of society. And he found that fascinating. And what, what he did was he is like, is there a system of government where this doesn't happen? And he looked at uh, all forms of monarchies, which is a queen or a king, an oligarchy, which is like a royal family, uh, communism, socialism, democratic republic, federalism, laissez-faire. He looked at just about every type of form of government that was available to him at that point and basically came to the conclusion that no matter what the form of government, there, were, there will always be this stratification that you'll always have, for whatever reason, wealth attracts wealth. And so if you are a person of means, you simply attract more means. As long as you maintain the system 
and maintain your position in the system, people will want to be around you. They'll come to you for advice. They'll ask you things. And you'll be an influential person in the world around you because people will seek you out and want to be with you. And because of that, you can command higher wealth, power, and influence. You can command wealth, power, and influence within a society that follows that rule because, because that's how societies operate. That is, that is I, I don't know if I want to call it the pollution of the world, but it is definitely part of the fallen condition of mankind. I do not believe that the, that God, who looks at the heart, likes the idea of all the power, wealth, and influence at the top. But, the, but that's, I think, why, why God didn't want a king. But eventually he gave in and let Israel become a kingship. But when they did that, it wasn't healthy for Israel. Now, David was a good king. But it created a monarchy and a system of rule that over time destroyed Israel and destroys every culture. Every person who's in charge of making decisions will make decisions that are by nature because we're human condition destroys people and destroys the people they rule over. And I don't know if there's a solution to this. Now, in the Old Testament, they did have this thing called the Jubilee Year. In the Jubilee year, that was seven years of seven, theoretically what would happen is that all debts would be wiped out, all society would be kind of equalized, and then it would start over again. My understanding is they never actually celebrated a, a Jubilee year. Somebody, I mentioned this in a sermon or I mentioned it at a, it's something and somebody came up to me and said, you know, they never really did celebrate a Jubilee year. It was, it was in the Bible and they talked about it, but they never celebrated it, which is Probably true, because how do you do it? How, how do you wipe out and cancel all debts? How do you give things back to people who pawned their property in, so that they could survive? And then at the end of 50 years, it all kind of goes down together again. It, it's not a peaceful thing that's going to happen. Although it does happen in societies over time. This is where revolutions come from. Revolutions are basically people at the low end that have no foothold in any decisions of society. And so they basically revolt. They rip down all the structures of society and make society start over again with the hope that maybe in the new society, they would have a foothold in the new society that would give them an opportunity. And that's where revolutions come from. But and those do work. You will see in a revolution, particularly if they kill the people at the top, you will see a redistribution of that power and influence farther on down in society. And you will see people at the very, very low end rising up to power and influence. But then over time, they end up being the people with power and influence over somebody else. And the cycle goes on and on and on. It doesn't, there's no way to stop it. It's like a, it's, if you ask me, and this is a very philosophical thing, but if you ask me, I think that the fact that power and influence rise to the top is the ultimate human condition that we ended up with as the fall of mankind. 
You can look a lot of other things. We, you know, we have to have pain in childbirth. We have to have uh, difficulty growing crops. There were a lot of things that came out of the Garden of Eden. But I think the, the number one thing that came out of it, the number one manifestation of this human condition of sin coming out of the human, out of the Garden of Eden, is the fact that for whatever reason we as humans love to associate and assent our power and authority to people who have power and authority over us and we like it and we 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 have it at some level in our heart's desire we want to be those at the top making all the decisions we want to be those at the top that live a life of luxury and comfort and people come to for advice and they're on the front page of the magazines and all of that sort of thing. There's just something about the human condition where that gives us joy that we think it's going to give us joy. It's something we pursue. And, and all humans do this. Now, the thing is that when Jesus came, he violated this. When he was in front of Pilate, who was the guy in charge of Jerusalem, he was the Roman person in charge of all of the all of the Jerusalem area or Herod when he when he went in front of Herod Jesus did not give in to their authority over him he said i am who i am my authority comes from god i'm not going to accede to your authority you are you are an authority over this land on a human world and on a human area and a human condition but I take my marching orders from my Father in heaven, and I am a different king with a different kingdom, and my kingdom will never pass away. And he said this to the, uh, the elites and the authorities in Jerusalem, and it scared them a lot to the point where they had to kill him because you can't, you can't let some a philosophy like that exist in a kingdom. You can't. You can't, there has to be this illusion that Herod or Pilate or anybody in authority is there because they're so wonderful and they're perfect and all that sort. No, they're not. They're just humans that happen to be in those positions of power and authority. All power and authority is granted by the community that people have the power and authority over. I mean, and if that, if that granting of power and authority starts to get cracks in it, that is very scary to the people that have the power and authority. And so they have to kill, they have to quelch it. And that's what dictators do. Uh, that's, that's what uh, all these people that live in any society, if they see any cracks coming in that authority, they have to crush it down. They can't let it fester. Now, the, the big question is, the United States, the government that we live under, was founded to try to prevent a ruling class. If you look at the story of George Washington, he did not, when he, I, I read a, a great biography about Washington and the, the first wars that he uh, was involved with as a general. And George Washington, when he was elected the first president of the United States for the constitutional republic that we have. They elected him to be the first guy. And a great selection, by the way. 
They wanted to know what they should call him. Should it be your highness, your honor, your majesty? What do you call the president of the United States? Is And if I were George Washington, maybe your honor, your majesty, I don't know. But George Washington, at a level that we just have kind of forgotten in the United States, understood that this was a new democracy that was, was trying to, the three centers of government were created so that no one center of government could rule over the other. And the whole idea was to try to eliminate power and influence by the weaker classes of our society. And so he asked that he could be called Mr. President. And it has stayed. It's just Mr. President. It just happens to be the guy who's at the top running one branch of government, which is the executive branch. But there's two other branches of government that are still in existence that work as a neutralizing factor against one branch of government becoming too powerful. And that's the way it was set up. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is, and don't get me wrong, I love the United States, I love the Constitution, I love how we've developed as a country. But the question you have to ask yourself is, have we as a country still developed an upper echelon ruling class that makes the decisions and has power over everybody else, even though they're not supposed to? Do we have that? And I don't know if I can answer that question. I'll let you think about that. But who are the people in our society that make all the decisions about everything? First of all, we know politicians, right? Because we elect them. We give them that authority. So that is an elected authority. But there's some other behind-the-scenes authorities that are out there. And that is experts. It's uh, institutions. It's uh, the medical community, the scientific community the philosophical community, the, the entertainment community. There are lots of different communities out there that we have given them power and influence over our lives and we accept what they say as being good and healthy for us. And at one point, the church was up there as one of the maybe one of the main places of power and influence over other people. At least people listened to the church. When I say the church, I mean the Christian church here in the United States. But it seems like over the last 100 years, and definitely over the last 20 or 30 years, that position of power and influence by the church has just been eroded away. And many people in the church are very upset about that. But if they read the words of Jesus and understand his message and how he works, they shouldn't be upset because the kingdom of God is not dependent upon power and influence in the worldly kingdom. The kingdom of God is only dependent upon the Holy Spirit and God working through his church to love the world around and to become a servant to all so that we can bring God's kingdom to all and to not necessarily be upset when the church loses power and influence because our power and influence comes from a different king and we are in a different kingdom. 
And actually, if you look at the history of the church, one of the most amazingly powerful times of the Christian church happened in the first 300 years of Christianity. It grew like wildfire. And the question you have to ask yourself is how much influence did they have in the upper echelons, the salons, the power influence centers of the Roman Roman Empire? And the answer is none. They were crucified, killed, belittled, demeaned, thrown into prison because they were such a threat to the Roman Empire, they couldn't be allowed to survive. And yet, not only did they survive, they thrived. And they used the kingdom and love and joy and all the things that Francis of Assisi talked about. They used those things to be leaven, yeast, salt in the world around them to the point that they became powerful. People wanted to give that influence to Christianity because they had such a beneficial impact in society that people gladly then said, we're going to give the church, the Christian church on earth, we're going to give all that power and influence to them. And they became very powerful and influential. But then they abused that power and influence and they used worldly techniques, the techniques of the sinful human condition to maintain that power and to use that power to force that power on other people to the point where Martin Luther in the 1500s said, wait a minute, this isn't at all what the kingdom's about. And he broke that power and we had a revolution in Christianity unlike any revolution that redistributed the power and probably now is a distributed power, at least here in the West. There is no centralization of Christian power. Now you could say that's a horrible thing Or you might be able to look at that and say, that's not a bad thing. That's actually kind of a good thing. And I think I'll I'll leave it at that. We probably have gone over a little bit today. But I want to continue this thought as a philosophical exercise because it does have an end thought to it. And we will get to that in a later episode. So let's just close in prayer. Gracious God, for the blessings of this day, we thank you for the power that you give us being in your kingdom. We adore you and give you all the honor and glory. In your name we pray, amen.